0: Not your average operator, Not your average operator, Not your average operator. Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator. With me, Paul Mel McFadden. And I've got my boys. There's both of them have joined us again. We've got Tierra Raf, how are you doing there, man?
1: Oh, I'm doing good. Just hanging out with my boys, like you said, just chewing the old fat, having some banter.
0: That is what we're doing. The best thing about the best thing about where you are right now, inside your cupboard, is that we can see you two posters you got stuck on the wall.
2: Yeah, one,
0: <laughs> He's not the his
2: boys. He's hanging out with uh, two very special people. Who are they, Raf? Uh, one of them is straight up trailer park uh,
1: trash. Um, she was in a couple movies. I don't even know. I, honestly i know what movie it is but i never saw it so i probably won't go too uh far into those details and then
2: the one out my right um let's just say she's wonderful Mm. and uh (laughs) i love her very much i bet the listeners minds are just kind of all over the place like oh she was in a couple movies and she's wonderful
0: (laughs) yeah you got is it suicide squad and wonder woman
2: yeah there you go actually that
1: wonder woman outfit um I think my wife can fit into that. It's, uh, <laughs> anyway, that's <for> another episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, man? You look well. I,
1: I, yeah, I'm good. I'm good, man. Um, obviously, other side of the world, so sleeping is is a premium out here. But yeah, it's good. No complaints, man. It's good seeing you guys. Counting down the days when uh, you, you finally make it to the East Coast, to the East Shore, yeah. and work your way inland.
0: This is another one of those episodes just for everyone listening where it was like trying to get the timeline to, to match up it meant some people stand up late and some people getting up super early. So uh, yeah. that's one of the things we do. How are you doing there, Mike?
2: Oh, I'm I'm good as always. I'm uh, you know, prepping the East Coast for your arrival, uh, to say the least. Everybody's asking, oh, is 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 melon coming? It's well? say, yeah, but I gotta call places, I gotta be like, look. I know you're used to nice people, but this uh, see you next Tuesday is coming in. And he's just gonna wreck everything. You need to order more beer, brats, meat, like just what I need to ship in Vegemite, you know.
0: Uh, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say vegetables in.
2: No, no, I, I I'm learning some Aussie proper uh, words here, man. I, I tried the other day with that funny meme I sent you guys.
0: Mate, that was you were you were stringing. It's like he looked up words, Raph. And just got like mag, wrote him on magnets and threw them on a metal board. He sort of he got all the Australian slang words, but not in exactly the right order. It was pretty funny. Most of them we can't repeat because sometimes there are children around and stuff, and a lot of a lot of Australian slang is foul words, so we won't go into exactly what he said. But it, did. and the reputation is absolutely <laughs> unearned. I'm the warm-hearted, nice guy. They all know that. I'm not the horrible one like you, Mike. Horrible one.
1: Horrible. Yeah. Then why are you hey, if trying I, to see me? If I could just if I could just interject here for you to see you next Tuesdays, um, I just dawned on me that Mike is secretly becoming melon because <laughs> you're wearing a black wife beater. Your tattoos are eerily looking very similar, like melons.
2: I mean it's true. Look at him. Okay, so I've been talking the to only you guys thing,
1: remember. the only reason I can I can tell you guys apart is because malin has a significant head of hair
2: (laughs) wow you think about all all on your own so there's two things one one both of you guys have been influencing me and two all right this guy's coming to town and like i need to I'm, i'm trying to be what's the word i'm trying to be welcoming welcoming to his culture of assholeness I mean, (laughs) I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to mentally prep myself. You need to understand what Melon thinks like in order to receive him. You know what I mean? So I'm trying my best. You should probably stop using the word receiving Melon.
1: I'm just going (laughs) to go off on on a ledge here and just, I'm just, Uh, just for the uh, public. uh, All right. Uh, Yeah. Moving
0: on. What is funny though, (laughs) we've been doing some code and, uh, you know, just putting a couple of plans together, such as going to like a, a you know, some exciting activities that children might like, <laughs> and so I've been having a fair bit of banter about. Unfortunately, none of the water parks allow children below the age of fifteen to go, and so on. <laughs> Last night at dinner, Mike Michael's like, Dad, I saw your message. How come we're going to we're going to go to a water park that doesn't let anyone below fifteen in? I was like, Well, that's the rules, buddy.
2: <laughs> and what was your response when I was like? You love teasing your kids. What was your response?
0: I may have said that I bathed in their tears. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of like I'm sort of like AT and T. You know, I'm not happy until they're not happy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best part is you're sober right now. You're actually kind of funny. You're witty. I we only get this when you're. Well, I guess you're sort of delirious, right? You're you didn't really sleep, so.
0: <laughs> I did not sleep much. That's quite true. Yeah.
2: So, uh. so here's another word I did get right, and that I learned is is a farter. Okay, so Mel and he's like, "All right, mates, uh, uh, you know, I'll see I'll see you at zero two Zulu, and uh, I'll, I'm gonna hit the fada." And I'm like, "What the hell is a farter?" And he's like, "Ah, you know, it's a bed. You know, you get in. It's where you do majority of your farting. You know, so that's an Australian term."
0: Uh, it's an Australian th- Army term.
2: There you go, Australian Army term. So if you hear him say that, that's actually what it means. There's some, there's some good education with some context to it.
0: Yeah, you might have oh, – young Mellon may have heard senior NCOs and junior NCOs screaming at the top of their lungs about, get out of your father's <laughs> Very early in the morning. <laughs> uh, Army slang. So what have you been up to, Mike?
2: I just finished – three straight months of uh training with no break uh so that was very 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 uh long and exhausting i'm not gonna lie uh last week i finished up uh i woke up at 5 30 i was at work by 6 30 and i didn't get to bed the next day until 6 a.m um and finished it out that way but it was really good i slept for a couple hours woke up rode a uh thousand word uh paper uh that i sent to you guys and uh knocked out some other homework and i was actually doing more homework before i started this but i'm officially done and i'm heading up to the berg to yinsburg uh tomorrow for a week to have some family time and get on into nature and just forget about work and not give a damn <laughs> so
0: i'm pretty i'm so, pretty damn happy dude it's so good like uh You know a well-earned break and i can i'm sure the listeners can well imagine how busy your normal work routine is and then you've been adding study on top of it it's sort of you know the old if you want something done you ask a busy person yeah and And so how's the uh how the uh you know the crown writing and stuff been going you mean getting any results
2: yeah so i i shared with you guys the other day and i know i talked about this what, I don't know, two, I'm three months in. So this is a couple episodes ago about starting this venture. And I just, I really wasn't confident, like no shit. I wasn't confident in this. I haven't done schooling like this in 15 years since I was in high school. Uh, I'm very proud of myself, putting in the work, balancing work uh, with personal life. And then this, I have a 4.0 GPA right now, three, three months
0: in. So, I'm pretty sure you're getting the numbers around the wrong way.
1: 0. Yeah, I think so. Well, I was going to say, yeah, that sounds kind of, because if you remember when I replied to you, you sent me one of the papers and I replied and I said, you should probably look up plagiarism. I don't think you know what that means.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're making me write another paper on it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it's really good, man. It's one of those things. Like, I think for, for listeners out there as well, you know, like you can sort of have a label for yourself and you can put yourself in a box sometimes with like what you're good at and what you're not good at and that's based on someone who's like been gone for a long time right like 15 years ago young mike was perhaps not that academic but he wasn't it's really amazing when you come back to something as an adult and you actually you've got your mind in the right you know, like you, you're choosing to do something that you are you interested in and you bring yourself to it as an adult, it's pretty extraordinary what you can achieve. And sometimes people don't start because they don't, they don't know, you know, they're put off by academics, but I'll just encourage people to, to, you know, Mike is getting some big numbers. We're getting, we're, we're talking big numbers here. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he can read and everything.
2: I can write now and all that as well
0: writing as well oh, yeah. wow. i'm
2: getting there man
0: <laughs> no <laughs> joke no joke it's amazing <laughs> what happens sometimes when you return to it you know and you, you you're you're a different person than you remember you know like i'm picturing you at, at school sort of picking on everybody and spitballing people in the back of their head during class and stuff that was not me i was I, were, we all know it was true you would have been the bully no, and uh, and now, <laughs> and now you got your pocket protector, and you got your big glasses. It's just funny, right? Like you go back to something, and it's just you're like, funny, "Oh man, I didn't right? know if it was going to be any good."
2: Funny, right? it's not fucking. It's not funny, Melon. It's not it even funny. free. <laughs> it's, it's, it's. I'll
1: be the tiebreaker.
2: It's pretty funny. Mel Melon is just literally describing him growing up as <laughs> as a child, and he's framing me for it to get a reaction, so he knows what to talk about and what not to talk about.
0: I bet you were putting like dead birds in like the girls' lockers and stuff. Teasing them. Well, that really took a turn. Yeah. And that and, and now you're like Mr. Academic. It's good. I'm proud of you.
1: I wish Dr. Aaron was here because I feel like she needs to kind of touch base
2: and circle back on some of the stuff for you, Melon. This this is what happened if you if you don't have a good sleep schedule. You get weird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, so, uh, but in any case, for, for people out there, it's a really good, um, like it's a good story about returning to something and, and not not being limited by your past. You know, like and It's easy to have a belief about yourself and you're like, I am like this. And then you go and do something you're like, shit, I'm actually good at this stuff.
2: Yeah, I, w- I would like to say after last week's intro, uh, I failed Spanish too in high school. And uh, now I don't even want to learn it
0: because of RAF. But it was all nice stuff, he said, I'm pretty sure.
2: (laughs)
1: Also, on behalf of everyone who speaks Spanish, we don't want you to learn Spanish. (laughs) I literally just, I've been, while you've been talking, I'm getting all these uh, Twitter messages uh, from people of the old country, and we're all in agreement, we we don't want you to learn. It's a sacred language. It's special.
0: The only word in there I recognize is putos, and apparently that's like my friend.
1: (laughs) That is. It's like a, it's like second cousin first removed. It's just like a, you know, it's like a brother
2: slash cousin type thing. So my response to that is anytime I'm in a, in a meeting, like for work in a military meeting, everybody's in there. It's just like, you know, everybody's in uniform. It's like, yes, we're, we're all here for the team, right? We're all going to make sure we, everything's great. And then there's always two or three uh, Hispanic guys. And then they look at each other. No, think about this. They look at each other and they're like, Oh, He's Brown and I'm Brown. And then they say one word in Spanish and it's like a challenge and reply. And the other one starts, they go to the corner and immediately start speaking Spanish because they know nobody else in there speaks Spanish and who knows what they're talking about. You know what I mean? And it's just like, what's going on over here, you know, and Raf used to do that all the time. And it's just like, what do you, what do you plan in there Wolfpack? You know what I mean? Like he, you never knew where he was going to strike next.
1: There's listen, there's some truth behind this actually. He's not just making this up. I as soon as I see another brown person, I go free cop and we just start talking about everybody in the room. Just like brothers, like if you notice, like I have plenty of black friends. When they shake my hand, it's like a, a very cordial shake. But when it's another brother, they're like hugging and doing like, you know, it's like a cooler form of of uh, of like just greeting each other. Everyone's got their own and I mean, what do you guys do?
0: Yeah, we got nothing.
1: Yeah, you got... Mellon says, hey, I'll buddy. I'll tell you
0: what. When, when traveling, Australians throw like one or two bits of slang in the first sentence and you're like, oh, and then, yeah, we do the same thing Mellon if says, you find an buddy. Australian. Say that again, Mike.
2: Melon just comes in and he goes, hey, buddy. And that could mean <laughs> like 10 different things. And you're like, what is your angle?
0: <laughs> that's, that's my name for my little buddy. In any case so what what is what is it that we're going to talk about today, Raf? you had a bit of a a concept of ops for
1: I did was- but no yeah, but offline we were talking about the the uh, goings ons of uh, Afghanistan um, especially because Mike and I uh, if you guys follow the podcast from the beginning, that's where we met um you know that's where um, we we worked together. Obviously, became fast friends, and then kept a friendship uh, even after that deployment in Afghanistan. Since then, I've gone back, man, several times. Right? I, I mean, it's almost like my second. It's sad how much time I. But you know, again, I've probably spent years in Afghanistan, several years, yeah. multiple years. So I'm very um, not that I'm some sort of Afghanistan expert, but obviously spending. If I do some quick math, maybe uh, three years, maybe a little bit more, maybe closer to four years of my collective adult life, um, seeing it from different perspectives. Obviously, from uh, high altitude, looking at things going on on the ground, and closer to the ground, dropping off guys like Mike. So, anyways, but we were just talking about the uh, the effect that we're seeing from us pulling out, and um, yeah, obviously the the sentiment is you know, 20 years is 20 years and we think it's enough, but at the same time, you know, and I know Mike probably feels this way. Some of the interpreters specifically that that were just crucial for yep. some of the ops that we were doing. You know, I, I really, really, really hope we don't do, I, we need to do right by them. Like that's that's the one demographic that I, I pray every day that the administration does everything in their power um, to really, really seek out the ones that were crucial because you know a lot of them were risking everything i mean they're risking their family being killed they they were risking um being on the run constantly i mean it's just, it's sad with what they had to give up but we couldn't have done our mission without them i mean honestly i mean and i when i say we i mean guys like mike guys on the ground right i was just the, i was just the bus driver
2: you, no, absolutely that i i heard uh who was it uh congressman uh dan crenshaw was uh just talking to congress about doing everything in your power to get these guys over here before we close because once you close the gate the taliban are just going to go and, and and have a free-for-all at these interpreters who've literally spent the last 20 years of their life in their own country fighting for freedom uh and assisting coalition forces and i mean uh, for some people that might have served out there in special operations, uh, there's a guy named Johnny Walker. He was, I mean, he was primarily in Iraq, but uh, he's, uh, I think there's a movie coming out uh, out about him and like all the stuff that he did there, but it's like dedicated to all the interpreters who've given their life. Uh, the, one, the ones I've worked with uh, on the ground that, that Raf's talking about, uh, both of his parents were, were murdered uh, by the Taliban when he was 11 years old. And he was taken in and just kind of worked around one of the fobs, and he became an interpreter. Wanted to work, and he was going out with uh, he was he went out with us a, a few times, and he's working out with another uh, another group of uh, soft guys up in uh, Zabul Province. And uh, he carried around a PKM machine gun with like 300 rounds, like freaking Rambo. Uh, he carried claymores. He carried a Carl Gustav rocket, uh, and he was just like. I want to kill Taliban, like an amazing warrior. And it was so nice to have a dude like that. And he was just treated with so well, so well-respected and one of the guys. So that is something, uh, if you guys are listening, please look into that. Uh, that is something that needs to happen for sure.
0: They Just today, like we sort of started talking about this offline. There was a, a news story in one of the big Australian uh, news services talking about the last of the Australian soldiers have withdrawn. We're down to just a sort of a, a small group, and that 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 news story is the is the main one in Australia at the moment about the interpreters getting out. And they've they they generated a, a new class of uh, visa for for these guys, and there's been a big push. They've they've resettled quite a lot. They started in 2013, and and they've taken quite a lot. I know I know it's well over a thousand. That they've taken back to Australia, and they're, they're trying to get, as you're saying, it's critical to get these people out because they're going to be the first the first target, unfortunately, uh, once, once, you know, the last of the coalition forces are out.
1: And even to be a lot more transparent than that, you know, it's not like they're going to be immediately attacked as soon as we leave. They've been targeted for as long as they've worked with coalition forces. I mean, there's been a lot of interpreters that have actually been killed and, you know, hunted down, in some of the the enclaves, um, especially around the Helmand, outside of Kabul, near Wardak, uh, some of the stronger or some of the districts that fell a lot earlier, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, there's there's straight up places in their own country that these people could not go because they knew there was such an influence, even back, you know, three, four years ago, that if if they wandered into the wrong area, they, they wouldn't make it out of there alive. I mean, it's when, when I say these people were risking life and limb, it, there's no exaggeration
2: about it. Not just that, but also the intelligence part of it, because like, no matter how good you are, like these people live there, they know the they know these mountains that are like, you know, we look at them and we're like, where the hell are we, man? This is literally in the middle of nowhere, Afghanistan. And these guys are in your mission planning with you. They're going through and they're like, ah, nope, don't don't go here. And you're like, why? Well, there's an IED right here. There's an IED right here and one right here. Oh, and by the way, they're probably setting up an ambush. They always do it right here with these types of weapons. You're like, damn, dude. And and, and they and they were right. Like 90% of the time, it's that's exactly where they're at because they're so in They have their own context. They're embedded. I mean, that's their country. And they've saved so many American lives, well, coalition lives. And uh, just by being there, and they don't have to say that. You know, so there's some that might be there for a paycheck or they're just trying to, you know, whatever. But majority of these guys care. They're passionate. They're patriots. Um, I mean, there's there is one guy uh, that worked with Dan Crenshaw. He was talking about it and uh, his name was uh, I believe his name was Rock and he and he was talking about it and he was born there. As soon as the war kicked off, he, you know, kind of same thing. His family was murdered. He was working with special operations forces, particularly SEALs with Dan Crenshaw's platoon and stuff. And all he said he wanted to do is he wanted to continue the fight, become an American citizen, come to, the, uh, come to America, join the Navy and become a SEAL and go back to Afghanistan to fight. Um, ultimately, he stepped on an IED that blew up and completely blew off uh, all four of his limbs. Uh, He lived for a little bit and it was actually the same blast that uh, took out Dan Crenshaw's eye. Uh, That's why he wears the eye patch. So this interpreter stepped on an IED that was meant for an American and ultimately Dan's alive because of this interpreter. Uh, But that was his dream. That's the type of person he was. Uh, He wanted to become an American and return to that country as a SEAL to fight
0: the Taliban. Like, damn. Yeah. How, How do you guys feel overall about the withdrawal? Like, I've got an opinion, you know, about how long it's been and that we can't just continue to send our young people over there I'm like, in my mind, it's like, it's time already, you know, like these countries have to be able to stand on their own, but it's such a conflicted thought around what happens now when you leave.
2: There's a lot of emotion, I think. So I know I'll speak for myself. I can't speak for Raf. He's spent a lot more time there than I have. And so, you know, everybody has a different experience. When I hear about it and talk about it, it's it's emotion for me because of what I remember there the, the stories, the relationships being out in in the mountains with the people, um, seeing some true honest to goodness people that lived out there who were, you know, it doesn't matter that they're Muslim. It didn't matter. Like they were just good, innocent people that were just trying to make a living and have a family and be successful with what they had. And that was it. And I really loved and, and, and was inspired by those people. Um, but now, like I was looking up some stuff about uh, you know s- deaths and all this other stuff, uh, we we've given so much time. This is the longest conflict that we've ever been in, and we've built their their military. And I have to agree with you; it is time. It's been time for us to hand it over and them to take the lead. And that's been that's been the main part. And Raf, you could attest to this. Is for the last couple of years, uh, I would say eight. Eight years, every ten years, everything has to be bilateral. So guys aren't going out like Americans. At least we're not going out on our own. You're out with a partner force, which is the, you know, the PRC or the commandos or somebody else that's attached, and they have to be a certain distance ahead of you. I think it's what like two thousand meters. Uh, they have to yeah. be. At least 2000 meters in front of you and we're in the back just on the radio going, Hey, I think you should do this. Hey, you should go over here, you know, sort of thing. So we're kind of not in direct combat, uh, but we're letting them take the lead literally on almost every operation. So how long can we do that for? I think we've done it for a long time, but do I still think that we should be there as a very small advising force? Absolutely, because the Taliban is already retaking a lot of territory um, and logistically and all that stuff, like there's only so much the commandos and and the Afghan army can do. Um, So I still think we need to maintain a advisor footprint. Just like we are in Korea, just like we are in multiple other places like it is a concern for the region. And I think we should still maintain a special operations footprint there. Uh,
1: Yeah, I completely agree uh, with you, Mike. Um, The only thing I would add to that is that they're, you know, unfortunately the one thing that they haven't been able to do independently, you know, just with themselves is uh, provide the air assets. We, you know, we've always provided, I mean, we've trained Afghan pilots, you know, they've got rotary pilots, they have fixed wing pilots, but obviously their capability, I mean, it's a, it's, Fair, fairly infantile and i don't mean like they're like infants i mean it's just it's such a young force versus the american force which has had multiple wars multiple experience some of the best trained aviators in the world um so they've predominantly been kind of dependent on american or coalition assets in that regard for isr for attack you know for just cargo movement all that sort of stuff and so i think we we did or collectively, I think strategically, we did really poorly to, to make them more independent in that regard. Because there are strategic services that we were providing that are kind of going away with the pullout. And that has hurt them severely. Um, Just like I said, uh, just the airpiece alone has been kind of a significant piece of why the Afghan like the Afghan forces the federal forces are are better equipped better trained eh, well i guess that's relative but there's there's more number right of guys in uniform than there are of the taliban supposedly um, but i think where where they've where they've really been struggling is you know the supply lines have been stretched out uh, we can go into the fact that the government is just extremely corrupt it's just it's part of the culture it's rife and until you uproot corruption, which is damn near next impossible, you're just never going to get rid of that. So uh, there's all these key components, but the fact that they just have been able to independently provide their own air service, you know, attack service, ISR, rotary, all that stuff. We know that once every because I don't know if a lot of people know this, most maintenance, most um, and even some level of of, uh, training is all done by contractors. Uh, coalition, American, whatever, expat contractor. So once all these people leave, it's completely on the Afghans. And we know it's going to come to a screeching halt because, they're again, maintainers are all contractors. They're all expats. Um, we just, you know, they just didn't train. I'm not saying they don't have maintainers trained. I'm just saying they don't have the proficiency and the knowledge to the degree that most expats do. I mean, it's, it's just a fact, you know, because most expats are retired military that leave the military, go overseas, and they're good at what they do, so they get paid really good salaries to 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 do that specific service, whether it's you know mechanics, running operations, ISR, what what have you. So, anyways, that's that's something that I've seen over the years. And once I knew they were going to pull us out, um, I knew that that was those are going to be um, friction points, and they're already showing their face. I mean, it just I've read an article literally saying those exact things how you know collectively the coalition forces failed the afghans by not preparing them to be able to be independently providing their own air service because it's always come from us it's always come from us and now we're we're taking one of the most crucial parts of of their ability to attack the taliban i mean that's that's what that's what they held over the
2: taliban right but now they don't have that air
1: superiority
2: right so that's something I'm actually learning about uh, in a class that I'm taking right now of like joint, inter, joint inter-service, inter-agency, multinational, uh, all this coordination. So it's not just DOD there, it's Department of State, it's interagencies, it's USAID, it's, uh, you know, NGOs, IGOs, like, in you know, all this stuff coming out. Um, and it was basically talking about Afghanistan and like kind of the kind of the failure of everybody kind of having their own opinion on like, this is how we do it and not coming to an agreement. So like DOD and DOS is going to be, you know, they're like, well, we think it should be a military uh, withdrawal with this, this, and this. And DOS is like, nah, it should be this way and diplomacy and they have their own government and this, that, whatever. And it was just kind of like gray, so much gray and there wasn't any full agreements. And, and it's, that's kind of what's making this withdrawal, plan kind of shoddy, um, because of it. But uh, I I did look up some numbers just to give some, uh, you know, some information from from the DoD. And this is from October of 2001 to April of 2021. Uh, This is estimates, obviously, Uh, war has directly claimed 241,000 lives uh, within Afghanistan and Pakistan. Uh, they estimate 71,300 civilians, uh, 47,200 from Afghanistan, and 24,100 in Pakistan. Uh, U.S. and NATO allies, uh, th- roughly 3,600. Uh, actually, I'll say the number, 3,586. Uh, everyone counts. Um 22,442 of those were U.S. military, 1,144 were allied troops. Um, National military and police, so Afghan, 78,300. Some in Afghanistan, uh, some in Pakistan. And then uh, they estimated 84,100 opposition fighters, uh, 51,000 of those in Afghanistan, 33,000 of those in Pakistan. So just, just to throw out some numbers about, the loss of life and what's taken place. And uh, I mean, look at the total number of how many of opposition fighters has been taken out. And then the number of us coalition forces, I mean, to, it's still, it's still a lot, but if you look at past wars and stuff, I, that's something else I was looking at just how advanced we've become. And, you know, technology has helped with warfare and all this other stuff and medicine, medical field and everything else. But, yeah, those are the numbers as of as of April 2021.
0: 20 years, you know, it's such a long time. Like we all remember where we were. I remember what I was doing. My mate's deploying right at the start. You just think at some point it has to end, you know, the commitment. And at some point they have to be able to sustain and carry on as they're going to do it, you know. Like you can't be in every place, Yeah, but it is a, is a very difficult tightrope to walk and uncertainty around what's going to unfold in the future. Obviously is going to, you know, no one really knows.
1: Yeah. There's also strategic importance to Afghanistan. I mean, obviously we want to see them succeed, but people need to understand it borders with Iran and I'll leave that for what it's worth. You can make the assessments that you want out of that. Um, so <laughs> there's a reason certain pressures in that part of the world didn't want us there, right? Physically, it just wasn't a good position for the U.S. to be so close to some of its quote-unquote, you know, nemesis.
2: Right. And and to give some, uh, you know, some basic info, you know, I mean, you could look up articles on this, you know, and there's nothing secret about it, is, uh, you know, our current fight with, you know, we'll call it the the gpc as it's known on the global power competition so um you know you have russia china iran north korea all these other you know these countries um they're all in competition with us about you know presence and access and stuff like that so when you hear about forces that are overseas and we're like i never knew we had forces there like what are we doing there you know all this random stuff and and again you could look this up as far as policy and Foreign policy and really dig into it um, is we are in certain places to build relationships with these people. And ultimately, we want to be their allies. We want to bring them in and do stuff and be like, hey, we want to help you out, give you security, teach you how to do this, do this. You know, again, it's a joint environment. So you have, you know, NGOs coming in, teaching them how to farm, better their country, and everything. The World Bank, USAID, like I said. Um, but also too, it gives us what's called access and placement. So if you have a friend down the street and you want to get close to the other friend that's, you don't like, uh, and you want to get closer, well, I'm going to make friends with him so I could go in his house and look at you with a telescope <laughs> instead of being, you know, hundred miles away, you know, sort of stuff. So everything has strategery, you know, I know it's one of the best <laughs> words, <laughs> everybody has strategery about what's going on. But there's always there's always uh, some reason to do that. And Afghanistan is one of those places. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So anyways, I think this is a good segue, though, for what we actually wanted to really talk about. We just want to touch on Afghanistan because it's on the news. Um, obviously, it's affected both of our lives. That's how we came together. I mean, that's how Mike and I crossed paths, you know, working overseas. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we just figured we'd, we talk about it cause spoke about it a little bit offline, but yeah, uh, for this episode, we really wanted to just do a quick jaunt on, um, you know, obviously the last episode, if you're following in sequence, we talked about, uh, our feelings on how specifically we feel like some of the problems on in our society are happening because men aren't standing up you know strong men and women aren't standing up and doing the right thing and so we wanted to just kind of introspectively look at what we've done in our past and kind of bringing up resurfacing uh moments where i failed to do the right thing and that had a deep-rooted um effect on me like maybe not physically maybe it was more psychologically but it to the point where i still think about it and i'm still kind of almost disappointed in myself. So I'll share mine, my, you know, one of the, and I might've already told you the story offline. So I've got, you know, five siblings, uh, a younger brother and three sisters and, uh, the middle sister, her name is Mariela. She's, well, she's older, but she was held back a year. So I think we were, I was a freshman, which would have made her a sophomore. It, anyways, it doesn't matter. The point is we, coincidentally had a class together we've never had classes together but this uh my freshman year we had like uh it's called uh I think it was like home class or something like that. It was basically like the you'd show up early in the morning and you sit in this room for like 45 minutes with like 20 other students and you just basically I think the principle or the idea of it was you just do homework and then you know you run off to your next class and then you start the sequence of classes for the day and um you know we we just kind of ran in different circles and so in the classroom we her and i really didn't interact a whole lot i mean yeah, we i mean we just saw each other at the house 20 minutes ago so it's not like we had anything to talk about but i remember the specific moment there was this kid he was kind of a bully uh kind of a well-to-do kid good looking uh came from an affluent family but he was he was he was a jerk and uh i mean this is him as a kid i hope as an adult he's just a better human but um he was kind of like the loud mouth in the classroom. And my sister has always been extremely shy, especially in school. She struggled with school. And so she kind of just kept to herself. And I was sitting somewhere near the front of the class. And this kid was sitting like near the front of the class, but like a row over for me. And for some reason, he just kind of honed in on my sister. And he like, he just like one day, he just noticed her. And he's like, who are you? And she like looked up at him and didn't say. anything. And I saw her face. It got extremely red. Like she just was, you know, she just. Suddenly, like the whole room is just kind of like looking at her. And he's like, I, I've never seen you here. Like, and he's like literally asking her, He's like, Do you not speak? He's like, and he started like making fun of her, like, do you not a ah, blah or whatever? Blah blah blah. And I'll never forget this. He looked at her, he's like, What's your name? And she didn't answer. She literally just like went back down to whatever she was doing. And uh he's like, he's like, I'll just start calling you trash. And I remember inside I was starting to get like get really, really angry. And I in my mind, I was like, I need to just launch across this desk and just knock this dude out but I didn't do it I didn't do it and I don't know why I just I was struck with fear even though I was bigger than this guy and I had already been wrestling so I was actually stronger than I mean I'm pretty sure I would have hurt this dude pretty pretty seriously but I didn't do it and I just remember the last thing I saw was my sister's face looking at me almost like help but she was also just embarrassed and I I just, to this day, I'm telling you, I think about that moment and I cringe and I, and, you know, being the person that I am now, having been through all the experiences that I've been through and having my self-confidence the way I do, if, you know, if I was put back in time, I know for a fact I would have caved that guy's face in, um, which is that good or bad? I don't know. But the right thing would have been at a minimum to stand up for, not just because she was my sister, but the fact that this guy was just being a complete complete jerk. You know, it's, and again, we were kids. We were, we were like 14, 15 years old. I mean, that's, you know, we're mean. Um, but I'm telling you, I, I still think about that. And I, it's one of the most embarrassing moments in my life. Like I personally, like I think about it all the time and I just, I don't know why just, fr- I
2: froze. Why? You, you just not, nothing comes to mind. Like you, you were afraid to get criticized. You didn't, you didn't have the energy, the courage, like what? uh i i don't I don't even know honestly man i maybe I was afraid of getting in trouble
1: if I did beat the guy up you know like i don't maybe I didn't want the attention maybe I just wanted it you know sometimes like you just think it'll pass if i just if we just ignore it,
2: you know he'll stop bothering her or whatever i just i don't know that's uh that's interesting because i have I have an honest story about a bad example about myself and doing the wrong thing. I turned into that bully. At one point um and it wasn't it wasn't to that um i'm not proud of this at all so between eighth and ninth grade uh i was uh and i wasn't raised this way either i just want to say that uh this is all me between eighth and ninth grade a friend of mine was dating a girl who uh had hearing aids and uh i was you know i had no issue with that he was one of my friends and whatever well through the summer. He would come over and hang out all the time well she would call the house uh like three four times a day that back when there was no cell phones really and uh she kept calling and i was like hey he's not here anymore like he went home and this went on for like two months uh throughout the summer and it was just my parents would pick up the phone and like he doesn't live here like stop calling it all hours of the day and night like she call like one, two in the morning and be like, I know he's there. Like you need to put him on the phone. And like my parents were getting so mad and I started school. I went in and it was like for two weeks uh, there was this, these two tables of, uh, of kids. And every time she'd walk by, they'd all like make this high pitched noise, like beep type thing. And it was like messing with her hearing aids. And you could see her like making a face. And but they were all they thought it was funny. Um, I, I wasn't doing it at that time, but everybody kind of noticed it um, right there. I should have, like, said something, uh, but I didn't. I felt like it was just OK, like whatever. She's they got their own issues with it. I'm not part of it and I and I didn't do anything. So I was wrong right there. She called the house another day. My dad picked up the phone and he was pretty forward. He's like, you either stop calling here or I'm going to call the authorities, whatever. And she straight up told my dad, like, F you and start calling them names and whatever and hung up the phone. Well, I took that very personally and it made me very mad. So I went to school the next day. At lunch, I found one of those tables and I sat at the table and waited for her to come by. And when she did, I said one time, I was like, beep. And I was part of it. And everybody, for whatever reason, pointed at me, said I was the ringleader of it, even though I did it one time, I swear to God, I was in the principal's office faster than anything, me and another guy. And I had not one, not two, but all three principals in there, including the guidance counselor yelling at me, swearing at me saying, do you think she asked to be like that? What the F is wrong with you? And you know, all this other stuff. And I couldn't have felt more like a terrible person because I automatically knew when I did it, that I was wrong. And the teacher asked the other guys like, did you do it? Did you do it? And I know he did it. Cause he was right next to me and he didn't admit it. He was shaking in his chair And I sat there, I thought of my mother, my mom and uh, just everything that I was raised to and everything. And I felt so ashamed of myself. He's like, did you do it? And I said, I absolutely did it. And I owned up to it and I apologized, told the other kid to get out of the room. And uh, he's like, you know, I really appreciate you stepping up to the plate and admitting to you doing this. And I said, I I feel absolutely terrible. I was almost in tears. I was like, I want to apologize to her to her family. Like everybody, I feel so terrible. I shouldn't have been part of that. And, uh, I ended up getting three days in school suspended, um, for it rightfully. So, and, uh, I've never forgave myself for doing that, uh, for the longest, well for the longest time, but I was immature, but I knew right and wrong. And I chose to go with the crowd and do that. And, uh, till this day, uh, kind of flipping it around. One of the things that, no question, I will intervene is on special needs children, children, and also the elderly. If I see them in any way, shape, or form get disrespected, uh, you are going to have a a brick wall coming at you with, and that'll be me, uh, verbally or physically, if need be. Um, it was a moment I'm not proud of, but it also ultimately like reinforced and like changed my life to never do that. And actually for those four years after I volunteered for Special Olympics, uh, helped out multiple uh, other children and people my age and, or older people with disabilities. Um, and yeah, I'm very ashamed of that, but I should have rose to the occasion and I didn't.
0: It's a big thing to, bring up and talk about you know like it's a very personal thing to share and and like i have no doubt every single person out there has had failings and we haven't been our best selves all the time it's just impossible you know we're all flawed we're all weak we all have fears and you know i remember uh being being young and my there was some bad stuff happening in the home. And I didn't stand up to my older brother at the time. And, uh, you know, I was a lot smaller than him. But that really stayed with me for a long time. Might have been too much to sort of bring up here. But I I know that I didn't do what I, you know, I was sort of ineffectual. And and it's something that I think about a lot still. And uh, it's funny we all have these moments, you know, every single person. Oh you know, yeah, I, absolutely. I, 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 I can picture that classroom, Raph. You know, and and having that moment, you're you're a kid. You know, you're thinking about a kid, and you're thinking about it as an adult. But children don't have the tools to do. You know, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to get out of that social situation. At all goodness,
1: and. Uh, And this just popped in my head because Mike asked me, he's like, um, you know, what was it? What was it that kept me there frozen? And I actually, I know the answer. It just popped in my head. Nobody in that classroom knew that her and I were brother and sister. And I think I remember, like, I think the thought I had was like, I'm just going to keep it that way, right? Like, I didn't want to get involved because then they would all know that we're related. And somehow, I I don't know. I just thought I was going to get thrusted into that to that thing and yeah I, I like to this day i just like it's hard for me to forgive myself even you know again because i've grown into the person that i have and or that i that i've become and the person that i am today would absolutely not stand for that you know like i said i would literally just i would bash that dude's face and yeah um, you know and i and i think that's why i mean right now my my ears are getting hot <laughs> just talking yeah. about it you know what I mean? Like yeah. I I like I can see the dude's face and I just mm. I should have just choked him out. But um
0: But it's funny, like these these things I think are the ones where you actually learn and grow the most from. Like being being your best self and and doing something you're really proud of is really a wonderful thing. And I like I see it in the kids when they do things that they're really proud of. It's a really uplifting thing. And you're like, yep, that's you at your best and you can strive to be that all the time. But I think you know these these moments of weakness. If you you know, like they really impact you. I think the most. You know, like my one was again standing up to a to a, a physically bigger person who was doing the wrong thing, and I didn't do it for a long time. I was not able to do it and scared, and eventually overcame that. And I'd say that the three of us probably in these protector roles that we sort of have grown into Like, there's a reason we've grown into this and it's from failing and seeing that you're you're not doing what you, you're not doing everything you could or you've let yourself down or there's an opportunity that's passed and you sort of dwell and you're like man I freaking could have done something there or I could have done that better
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, j- just like you Melon, I mean I get I I with such detail, I can see his lips moving, you go at telling her, he's like, well, your name is garbage and I'm just, you know, just on fire. But then the other side of this, that same year, that freshman year, um, you know, there was a lot of hazing going on from seniors and there was one, and I had just started playing football. I think it was like, you know, we hadn't started the season yet. And I was near water fountain about to go inside the locker room. And there was this group of older kids, like they were junior, you know, they're all like the cool, they used to call themselves the losers. And, uh, anyways, I just remember this one, I don't remember his name, but I, I, I remember his face kind of a big, he was a big dude, but he was mostly fat, big. And for no reason, I, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. I'm sure he's seen me around, but he definitely knew I was a freshman because I was new. Um, I was, I'm drinking water. I feel this hand on my head and he just starts pulling my hair, like shaking my head left and right while I'm trying to drink water. And I knew it was him because it was, like, him and some of the other, like, f- his friends that were, you know, right before I got the water, I saw them, like, they are near door. But they weren't looking at me, so I thought they weren't paying attention to me. And, and as soon as my head is violently being thrown left and right, I knew, oh, crap, I'm in the middle of this. And, again, like, hazing was really big in football, especially towards the freshmen. So I, I kind of came to expect it. But um, it was – but this was more like just a vicious attack. Like, it wasn't even – Usually when they hazed us, it was like some of the stuff was kind of funny, you know, I, like they'd give you wedgies or it's just, I don't know, You, there, were, at least you'd get a laugh out of it. But this guy was just like out to just hurt me. It was really weird. He was bigger than me. And I was initially scared, right? I mean, I'm a small, I didn't really grow into my body, so to speak, until my junior year. But in the flip of a switch, I just felt like I had nothing to lose. So I started swinging at him. And I, I, did, I did manage to hit him once, and it was enough to set him back a couple steps. And then I just, and then once I saw that, that actually gave me kind of confidence, and I lunged at him again. And his friends started laughing because I'd stunned him, right? Because here's this little freshman he was, he was messing with. And, you know, uh, I ended up kind of rocking him a little bit. And then he, like, you know, got back at me and hit me a couple times. But by that time, the, you know, the, the other two guys had told him to, to quit it, and they, they moved on. But after that, I saw him and he wouldn't look my direction. And I thought that was interesting, right? Like I, I technically lost that fight. I mean, I, I did get him once. I stunned him once, but he still got the probably the best looks and he probably could have finished me off. But the fact that I fought back, I learned immediately, like, you know, there's some Im- – yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Melon.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so funny, right? Like there's – the actual act of bullying and and some of these things that we're talking about, they're not they're not an individual with another individual. It's the group, and there's a group dynamic. And being stuck in that moment, like I've seen friends get bullied at school. You know, I remember seeing a, a mate. He got he got bullied like a lot. You know, and it was a long time before I ever stood up for him and helped him out. Like I was, you know, I must have been fifteen or something before I ever stood up for him and it's it's that social pressure. It's not fear of being hurt, whatever, but it's just fear of being the target of the the group ridicule and what everyone's going to think and say and how they all act or when you, when you go along with it, like it's that group collective thing, you know, and it's like a very powerful social thing that's happening and it's not necessarily the one-on-one hitting anybody at all. And like you hitting him back would have just broken that in that moment. And it wouldn't have been bullying anymore. It was just like a fight. And then after that, he didn't have that social thing over you anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that was the – and that's why I had learned. You know, I mean, even though, I again, technically, I think I probably lost a fight. He never messed with me again. Like, none of those guys ever came after me again. You know, it's like I suddenly got the pass because I fought back. Um, and it's that was a really good lesson to learn. Of course, this was after the incident with my sister. And, uh, you know, uh, again, that was – I still can't i still won't let myself live that down but uh it just it's kind of you just nailed it it's kind of fascinating in a way that it's the social construct if you will you know and you Mm. just have to be you i mean you just have to be the little fish that swims past the net into the ocean and just gets away and you know and build that confidence if,
0: if you break out it's that fight or flight thing and if you go from like prey animal where you go don't move which we all do. And that's you freezing in the classroom, right? And me freezing and not helping a mate as well. If you just do like, I'm not going to be that and move towards the threat, your psychology changes, the dynamic in the situation changes. You're not acting like a prey animal. You're acting like a potential threat and things. It's just a different, it's a different life after that. Right?
1: Yeah. Even, and here's the thing, and this is the lesson that I learned is like, even if you lose, you still win. Like the fact that I just, i i the fact that I turned that switch and went after the guy, that was a small victory. You know, it really was. I mean, again, he never messed with me. The rest of the guys never messed with me. Um, so it was- and like,
0: and like my talking and speaking up and taking responsibility when asked by the person in authority, that changed that as well for him. You know, and I like full credit to you, mate, that would have been a very a very tough thing to do. But that changes the dynamic as well. You 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 come out of being part of the group, which we have all done at different times, and you get back into being like doing the thing that you know you should be doing. Like we should feel guilt. We should feel guilt for these things. You know, if you if you don't have that element of feeling bad when you've done something wrong, like there's there's a, that's a terrible place to be as a person. Like all of us should be motivated. You should have that feeling of guilt and regret and being like, I I won't be like that again.
2: So I, I really like how you said, you know, all this happened when the three of us were younger and it kind of put us into a place right now where we've become defenders. Like we, we understand that dynamic. And two things that I've kind of uh, pulled out of this is I lacked foresight at that age. I could not envision me doing it or saying it first and then seeing the the reaction from it. And then I could already kind of guess I'm going to feel like total shit if I do this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not gonna say it, you know what I mean? I didn't have the foresight back then. Mm. I didn't have that ability. That came with time and experience and understanding and seeing more examples around me and be like, oh man, now I can kind of collect that and put that into the bank and you know, and remember what this is gonna be like, you know, and being able to apply it. And again, that's a choice to apply it or you can just keep doing what you're doing. So I think a lesson out of that is developing foresight two with you raf is a quote that i thought about from edmund burke and it's 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 pretty popular but you know it's popped in my head when you were talking about i didn't want to do anything but it's uh the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing and i think that's very prevalent today because i think when you see evil being done or something being bad what (laughs) You see it on Facebook. Why? Because people rather be on their phone recording it, talking about it on Facebook Live or something else rather than intervening and saying, stop it. This is wrong, like no blind loyalty, no political affiliation, nothing. But looking at it from a human perspective, this is wrong and you shouldn't do it and intervene. That, to me, is big. And the last thing I kind of want to say about this is you're listening to us talk about three experiences that happen as uh, in our childhood. Go back and listen to this and replay that and imagine we're talking about us as adults and everything still applies. Just because we're talking about our childhood in some of these examples does not change the fact that us as adults, as a society that none of this means anything anymore like it all applies and then some so when you sit there and you go through daily life and we're having interactions with other people when you see wrong uh when you hear wrong whatever it might be what is your reaction to it that is ultimately what you can control you can't control what happens around you all the time but you can control your reaction and your response to it and like melon said the fight or flight which one are you capable of doing? And you have to be honest with yourself. If you're a person that says, I constantly, uh, flight, if you constantly run from adversity or run from tough situations, um, maybe reevaluate, reevaluate yourself. Raf just literally admitted like, man, I know the answer now. Why is because I didn't want to be affiliated and be brought down because nobody liked my sister or, you know, whatever. And he just realized that he just found his answer. So maybe go out and find your answer. You know, if your first thing's the fight all the time, maybe that's not all the, always the answer. Maybe you're actually the bully in the situation and you can absolutely be a bully as an adult in the workspace uh, in a team, whatever, and nobody wants to be around you. So I would challenge you guys to evaluate yourself. Think about where you fall in there and uh, do some thinking like the three of us just did.
0: I think, Knowing that it's a social situation that's occurring, there's a dynamic. Just one person speaking up can just disrupt the whole thing. Like the one person saying from the sideline, like, stop what you're doing, just disrupts the situation. And I think in nearly every situation, it's going to interrupt what's occurring there and it'll break that pattern. Raph?
1: You know, I think the most powerful image of what you just said that can be illustrated is that guy in China in Tiananmen Square, and oh. uh, right where he's standing in front of that that line of tanks. I literally just as soon as you said that, I I pictured that guy going, dude, one man stood in front of a column of tanks because they had just what they they'd killed, reportedly they'd killed a couple hundred students and civilians, but they think the number was much larger, and it was his single singular that single. Uh, action by him actually stopped the advance of the tanks.
0: Yeah, that's an extraordinary image to finish with. I think. Yeah. Wow. Well, all right. So a bit of banter in the beginning, <laughs> a discussion about a you know an ending that's occurring in a part of the world that's been very important certainly to Mike and Raf, and you know I've observed. I've never deployed to that area. I was All my deployments were uh, in Iraq, and then a discussion about personal failings and. In, in, in a matter of personal courage and how that's influenced us. And I'm sure everyone out there has had a situation where they've failed to be all that they could. And, you know, I really hope that all of us are able to reflect on those moments and, you know, be that bigger person, be that stronger person, be that wiser person. Because as, as Mike was saying, the, the hurt occurs later for years in these times when you fail, you know, by not speaking up, it can be a source of regret and hopefully it can turn into a, a positive motivation. In any case, uh, that's probably a good place to wind up. So from the three of us to all of you guys out there, stay stay safe, you know, reach out to people in your network, you perhaps haven't spoken to for a little while and uh, let people know you, you're concerned and you know, you know uh, what they've gone through or just reach out, say hi to someone you haven't said hi to for a while. We'll see you next week.